we can look at our world and say, man, everything is turned upside down. Everything is going crazy. But I know a God. I know a God. Amen. He's able to do abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all I could ever ask or ever think. Amen. Praise God. As a matter of fact, Scripture says, and call upon me in the time of trouble, and I will hear you and deliver you, and you will glorify my name. Amen. We just got to keep calling and believing in the Lord. Amen. He's as close as the mention of his name, the exceeding promises of God. I will never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. And so we can trust God and believe him. Amen. Praise God. What a mighty God I am. That message last night is, I went to bed thinking about it. I woke up this morning thinking about it. Amen. Stepping into our promise. Amen. God has already rolled away the reproach. I done took Israel off of you. <laughs> Egypt, brother. <laughs> took Egypt right off of you. The world is off of you. Amen. Now just going into the promised land and get your promise. What have you been asking God for? What have you been praying for? Got to take it. Amen. You have to go forward and take what God has given you. He stands with open hands. Say, come on. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. Amen. Man. But as Isaiah said, have you not heard? Have you not known? That the Lord, the Almighty God, the everlasting, the creator of all the earth, He's not weary, nor does He faint. <laughs> Amen. I guess that's why David says, I can run through a troop and leave her for a wall. <laughs> Amen. So we just have to keep going. It is so good to have Brother and Sister Herman here. And Sister Herman, I really apologize. Uh, last night, I did not introduce you properly, and so please forgive me. Brother and Sister DeMuth and Brother and Sister Miller, please forgive me. I did not introduce my other two, my ministers here. Amen. So I ask for forgiveness. But Sister Herman, we want you to stand and testify the goodness of the Lord this morning. <laughs> problem is you give me a mic and then you can't get it back but no I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding but I just want to greet you all thank you for having us um, hospitality boy the Parkers sure know how to do hospitality no wonder we have had Sister Parker teach on hospitality for our ladies and in, in different situations but we're treated like kings and queens and and uh, wonderful meals and um, place to stay and everything so we thank you and it's been awesome to have uh, Connie, to see Connie, um, like my husband said, um, she got the Holy Ghost and got baptized at our church, and so thank you for coming. Praise God! It's always good to um, see people that you've invested in, and we taught Bible studies too. And she would have questions and questions and questions. So, but anyway, well, thank you very much for having us, and it's a joy to be here. And thank you to the Parkers and the Millers for having us, and the Demuths. Thank you so very much. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Our dear presbyter friend, Brother Herman, amen. Praise God. As I said last night, we have fun on the board together. We laugh, we joke, we mess around, but we get the job done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a joy to, to know him. And he also is an author. His book, if I can encourage you to get a copy of it from, talk to him and how to get a copy of his book. It's a book that will let you know for sure that God is faithful. Nothing else, God is faithful. I wept, I cried, I laughed, I rejoiced when I read his book. Amen. And I tell you, from an author to another author, I would rather read his than mine. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is an awesome book. So get with him and ask him how to get a copy. If you're struggling with your faith, an awesome, 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 awesome book. Amen. Uh, 
to read for encouragement and strength. Amen. You, this life story is something. How it all unworked. And you can see God working through it all. Amen. To bring it together. So my dear friend, amen, if you would stand with me this afternoon as our dear presbyter come, amen, and greet the congregation. God bless Brother Herman. Praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, you picked a good day to be in church. Praise God. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and uh, good to be with you this afternoon. Had a great time last night. And again, I just want to echo what my wife said. Thank you for the hospitality of this church and your pastor and his wife and the Millers and just, you know, and, and uh, my, my new best friend, Xavier, he sharing his cherry pie with me that i mean i knew i'm in i'm in when that happened I'm like that's it we're, we're, we've arrived but but i uh, i appreciate that and um we do appreciate the fellowship um the hospitality is wonderful but it's it's the fellowship of of our friends and uh, and saints of like precious faith and uh there's something very important about that we need each other and we really do and especially in these last days of so much uncertainty, uh, we need to stick together. I'm going to talk about it. Be, be careful. I'll be preaching what I'm preaching tomorrow morning. But um, but I will tell you that um, we always we don't have assigned seating on the board, but we always find ourselves next to each other. And uh, and I appreciate that. And uh, I love your pastor very much. And uh, I, I, lo- I look up to him. And uh, don't let him fool you. He's a great author. Uh, my wife said she's got three of those books I think in the truck back home that we can bring tomorrow if you're interested in that and I don't I don't promote my book uh, even when it was hot off the press um, and people that wanted me to come and promote it and I said well I'll bring it but you're going to have to promote it so but if you're interested in that we'll bring a few copies that I think we have in our vehicle and uh, and we'll bring those to you and if you're interested you can certainly um, have those praise God amen why don't you turn around and just greet someone this morning or I guess it's this afternoon already praise God Amen. I'm reading uh, this morning from uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 17, starting at verse number 4. 1 Samuel 17 and 4. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God today? Praise God. Scripture says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And I want you to just key in for the purpose of this morning or this afternoon. I guess I'm looking out thinking it's still morning here, but it feels like a Sunday morning. Key in on this last phrase in verse number 17. And one bearing a shield went before him. 
I want to speak to you on this subject today. Don't be, uh, don't be confused by a strange title. I do have a purpose for it. But I want to speak to you on this subject this, this afternoon. I have fired my shield bearer. I have fired my shield bearer. Would you lift up your voice today and would you just ask the Lord to just anoint and bless the word of God? Let it not return void in the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you this morning. Oh, Jesus, we magnify you. Hallelujah. We adore you. We honor you. We've given you praise, Jesus, and thank you for reciprocating God and touching us and ministering to us. And Lord, I'm asking you that the power of the word this morning, God would touch us today, Jesus. Would you speak something into our lives, God? Would you plant something deeply within us, Lord? Would you let it cause it to take root and grow in us, Jesus? We honor you. We bless you. I pray that somebody be encouraged today. Walk out of this place different than when they came in. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And one more time, let's just clap our hands to the Lord for his greatness. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. There is a spiritual concept that we find in Scripture that I suppose whether you've been raised in this apostolic truth or whether you found your way into it at one point or time in your life, you have to at some point in your acknowledgement and your walk with God begin to understand it and get your head wrapped around it, your heart wrapped around it, your spirit wrapped around it, and that's this thing called faith. It's a uniquely and strictly spiritual concept. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us pretty plainly that there are some things that the natural man just cannot understand. They are, they are thought of as foolishness to him, but it takes the Spirit of God to understand and walk in and partake of. Faith, I believe, would be one of those things, at least in its deepest essence. There's no way that you can just simply uh, come up with a, a one-sentence explanation of faith. It has too many facets, too, too much depth when we speak about faith. Uh, we've heard many eloquent uh, preachers and well-studied men uh, try to define faith and, and use biblical examples. And, and faith, it seems like the de deeper you dig, the, the further down it goes, the richer it gets. There's something about this concept of faith. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews said this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is uniquely able to identify Things that cannot be seen. And that's tough for us because we live in a temporal world. We're spiritual beings, but we, we operate in a temporal world. We see things for what they are. I'm, I grab this pulpit because I can see it. It's made of wood. It's a temporal thing. But uh, we operate in a spiritual realm which we cannot see. And so sometimes that is difficult for us. And as we walk with God and as we grow in our walk with God, these are things, these are areas that we've got to grow in. And we've got to get more adept at identifying and being part of and operating in. Faith is that substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and for it by the elders, they obtained a good report because they operated in faith. And it says that in verse number 3, that through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. This is a concept, again, that's difficult. We think about building a building. We think about going, getting the materials, putting it all together, hammering the nails and screwing in screws and, and sawing wood in half and all of that that it takes. We do it with our hands. But the Lord spoke uh, it all into existence just by the very word of His mouth. And so these are concepts that by faith we have to grasp hold of. So And it goes on to say, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And so we've got to understand that the things that we can see were made by things that we cannot see. Praise God. And so it, it's what makes having faith sometimes so difficult. We see the natural, but if we're not careful, we can miss the supernatural. 
But I believe what this scripture is trying to tell us is that the supernatural brings into existence the things that are natural for us. It's the supernatural that shows us everything. And if we're not careful, we will miss the evidence of the supernatural in our lives. And we consequently will not have great faith. It goes on to say a few verses later, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. To please Him, we must operate in this realm. This is something that didn't come natural to me when I came out of the world. When I was born again, my, my, my walk in faith began and hopefully has continued to grow. But I've got to understand that without faith, I can't even please God because that's how He operates. For He that cometh to God must believe that He is. I have to have a fundamental understanding and belief in my heart that He does exist. If I don't believe He exists, there's no sense of going any further because there's nowhere to go from that point. But that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. This is one of my favorite verses of Scripture because it gives me a promise. It gives me a promise that if I will diligently seek Him, God will operate through my faith and things that aren't seen will become evident and become natural to me. I will see the evidence and the reward of the things hoped for. The substance of my faith will come to pass in my life. Praise God. Faith is what gives us the ability to view the supernatural. And without it, it is impossible to please God because that is the realm in which He operates. Now, Jesus blesses those that believe without seeing. We read about an encounter in the book of John, in the Gospel of John. And Thomas is inquiring of him. He meets with this now risen Christ, and he's confused by this. A lot has happened. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried three days. He is miraculously and supernaturally resurrected. And now word is traveling around that the Christ is now risen. And so Thomas, who, who many times is referred to as doubting Thomas, I'm not so sure if he was doubting. I think he just wanted to verify and know, praise God. Um, and so he, he meets up with Jesus and, and inquires of him. And, and so Jesus will reach thither thy finger and behold my hands and reach thither, uh, hither my hand and thrust it into my side and, and be not faithless, but, but believing. Thomas, I want to give you the opportunity. I know that you, you, you live in the realm of the temporal. You live in the realm of what you can see, but, but I want you to, I want you to touch me. I want to make a connection between the unseen and the seen. I want to bring it together. Take your hand and thrust it into my side and see if it is not me. I want you to not be faithless, but I want you to be full of faith and believing. That's when Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, thou hast believed. That's a good thing. You've seen me and you believe. Some people see him and don't believe. Many, many saw him in the Gospels and didn't believe. God Almighty, manifest in flesh, came and walked the earth and stood in front of people, touched them with his physical hands, and yet they did not believe him for who he was. But he goes on to say, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. I think there's something powerful about when you can step out into the realm of faith. I've always likened it. Sometimes I get these, these metaphors in my mind, these pictures in my mind. I think about uh, when I was a child. We had a rather tall dresser. I suppose that when I was a kid, it probably seemed really tall, but if I were to see that dresser, or today it probably wouldn't be as tall as I thought it was, but it seemed like it was just humongous. And I can remember as a as a kid standing on the edge of it like this and just falling. I'm not going to do it now because I'm going to have some real trouble if I do it 51. I'll break every bone in my body. But but falling forward and having my dad catch me. There was something about that. That's the picture I get in my mind of faith. That I trust my father. That if I'll step out, if I'll step off of something that looks like it's it's going to be dangerous. It looks like there's no way I could survive. I, there's no way this is going to work. He's going to be there and he'll catch me. And so it's a picture that from the very beginning I always had in my mind. And so there's something about that person that is willing to step out in the realm of faith that I think just gets a hold of the heart of God. It pleases him. It, and, and, and that's the realm in which I'm, I'm trying to encourage us today to walk in, to understand just a little bit deeper, to know the power of it, because there's a blessing that comes from it. Now, we understand 
And sometimes that can be difficult. People have been hurt and they've been damaged. And, and so sometimes we come to God and we assign to Him the same attributes and characteristics that we assign to people in the world. We think people have hurt us, people have done things to us, and therefore God's not that trustworthy either. And I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to take my time proving Him to make sure that in fact He's everything He says He's going to be. And that he's going to be the loving God that he claims to be. And I think that sometimes for some folks it takes a little bit longer to develop that faith-walking relationship that they have with God. Perhaps because of the things that they have experienced in their life. We're talking about this revival, no, not turning back. Uh, I'm still on that theme right now. I'm talking about moving forward because I lived a life without faith and I was faithless and, and not believing. But but now I've got to step into a realm of faith that's greater. I've got to be able to trust this, this holy Father that loves me so much that He came and died for me. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. One that was willing to be a, a substitutionary sacrifice for my life. When I did nothing for Him, God commended His love toward me. And that while I was yet a sinner, He died for me. And that's the God I've got to trust and I've got to walk with in faith. And so every man, the Scripture tells us, has been dealt a measure of of faith. So we know one thing is for sure that we can rest upon for sure that every one of us, wherever we're at in our walk with God, we have been dealt as a human being, a creation of God, a measure of faith. I don't know how much that is. I don't know if you can put that in a measuring cup. I don't know if you can weigh it out and tell what it is, but it's there. It's a measure. Whatever it is, we've all got it. We've all got the ability. We've all got the capability of exercising faith. But I don't believe that the Lord gave us this measure of faith, like he gave us two hands and he gave us two feet and he gave us two eyes and said, okay, that's it, that's all you need, you don't need any more. I don't believe he gave us a measure of faith to say, well, this is all you need, this is, this is just an accessory to your life. I believe he gave it to us with the intention of it to grow. Uh, matter of fact, I wonder if that's why I use the analogy, the faith of a mustard seed, because that's not something that's intended to just be, be a little seed. It's intended to be a plant. It's intended to bring fruit. It's intended to grow. It's intended to get big and, and produce something. And so I believe that our faith today is intended to grow in us. Praise God. Praise God. And so with that being said this morning, I want to take you to a very familiar place in Scripture that you're that you've heard of many times before in Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the, the armor of God. And a very beautiful analogy, if you will, and a picture of this armor. And again, we're speaking about spiritual things here, but the scripture is using something tangible, something physical that we can identify with. And so, and using it to make a point. And so Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he is saying, Wherefore, take unto you, in verse number 13, sorry, uh, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now, we understand that this isn't some kind of physical armor. This isn't some kind of, uh, Brother Miller, this isn't, you know, this isn't the equipment that we put on when we go into combat. I mean, it's not a physical thing God's asking us to put on. It's a spiritual thing he's asking us to put on. He says there's going to come a day when there's going to be an evil day, and, and having done all to stand, you need to be protected. And so here's this armor of God. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I don't want to get into, uh, for the sake of time today, I'm not looking to break all of these down and, 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 and discuss them, but I want to bring your attention to verse number 16. So we've got our loins girt about truth. We've got the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. These are uh, coverings, if you will, for uh, critical areas of our spiritual being and then you get to verse 16 and it says above all it sets something higher than the rest of it there 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 is a, a hierarchy here if you will there's an emphasis put on taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked it's not that the and then it goes on the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the word of god it's not that those other items are not important 
It's not that the breastplate's, you know, lesser important, but there's something about the shield of faith. It's not that the helmet of salvation's not important, but there's something about the shield of faith above all, above everything else. That is the thing that is going to provide the kind of protection that we need in our life. That is the thing that is going to be the thing that if you might have the helmet of salvation on. You may have the breastplate of righteousness on. You may have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But, but, but if you don't have that shield, none of that matters. That's the picture I get in my mind. If, if I don't have that shield of faith and that thing is a proper shield, then none of it matters. Praise God. And so I, I think about, like, for instance, and you'll, you, you'll appreciate the picture here, gentlemen, uh, you know, of the, of the fallen soldier memorial. And there, it, it does something to me every time I see it. It really does. It, there's something so poignant about it. A pair of combat boots and the weapon put in a vertical position between them. And then hanging on the, on the end of that weapon is the helmet of the, of the soldier that's fallen. There's something just just so poignant about that when you see that it goes right through you. You can't help but feel the, the compassion and, and the loss so deeply when I see something like that. But it's interesting that's what's displayed are the boots that carry that soldier into combat. There is the weapon that he took into combat uh, for, an, for offensive purposes. And there's that helmet that was placed upon one of the most critical places of his body uh, uh, covering his head. There is that helmet that he wore. But all of those implements, all of that uh, uh, equipment, none of that really makes any difference unless the bullet stopped. Somewhere along the way, the bullet wasn't stopped. Somewhere along the way, he wasn't shielded from that shrapnel. He wasn't shielded from that explosion. He wasn't shielded from that bullet. None of that mattered when it really came down to it. And so what you see in that fallen, memorial, fallen soldier's memorial are, are, are really what's left and a representation of, 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 of what his mission was and perhaps who he was. But, but really, none of it really mattered in the end because the bullet wasn't stopped. And there's something about the protection of faith in our lives. That is so absolutely necessary that we must have. Without it, it's impossible to please God. And so, I found it quite interesting one day I was reading in the book of Isaiah. And again, for the sake of time, I don't have time to give all the background of this. But Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah 21. And he's prophesying regarding Babylon's destruction. That the Medes and the Persians are going to come and destroy Babylon. And there's an interesting verse found in verse number 5. He says, prepare the table. Watch in the watchtower, meaning somebody needs to be up in the watchtower looking. Eat, drink, arise ye princes, and anoint the shield. Anoint the shield. Now, when you do a little bit of research about the shields in particular in these days, it was a piece of equipment that was standard. The way fighting was done in those days wasn't like nowadays where you push a button from hundreds of miles away and, and some implement of death and destruction flies through the air and lands somewhere where, where the uh, pusher of the button can't even see it. But it was different. It was hand-to-hand, -hand, it was brutal, it was face-to-face, -face, it was very intimate. You didn't go into war without a shield. And if you do a little research, you find that in this particular time, shields were made the size of the soldier. They were unique. It wasn't stamped out of a machine. It wasn't all one-size-fits-everybody. But a shield was designed to be placed in front of a soldier and it would accommodate his height, it would accommodate his width, it would cover his entire body. Now, I think of a shield, oftentimes I think of some little, you know, some round thing that, like, uh, what's it, Captain America has, you know. <laughs> well, that's not what this was like. This shield was a full body protection that the soldier could get, 
get behind. Matter of fact, you, you study a little bit about the warfare of that time, and, and there was uh, formations that they would make where they would, you know, in a time of, of, of protection where they needed to really just hunker down. They weren't in an offensive uh, position at that point. They weren't attacking. They were being attacked and um, perhaps overwhelmed, and so they could put themselves in a circle, and, and all of those shields, they would form a little cocoon, if you will, behind those shields and, and for that protection until they could get themselves out of that particular situation. When you study about how these shields were made, they were made of whatever material that would be, uh, would be the, the main body of the, of the shield, and then they were covered with animal skins or leather, stretched and dried over that shield. And so that became a very integral part of this shield. Um, and so you can understand it over the course of time, just like you, know, you wear a pair of dress shoes that are made of leather, or, or maybe more importantly, uh, you go out into the wintertime in the salt and all of that, uh, you know, you're wearing a pair of leather boots, you're going to want to moisturize those and you're going to want to take care of those and you're going to want to make sure you put something on them to keep them waterproof because uh, leather will dry out, it gets hardened and it, if it gets wet and, and, uh, and it dries out or the heat of the sun begins to suck all the moisture out of it, it begins to crack and it becomes so brittle that it's almost useless. And it's amazing that you can see old leather. You can almost, if it gets old enough, dry enough, and brittle enough, you can actually snap it in half. It's not pliable anymore. It's not like skin anymore. And so the shields needed to be soaked in oil. They needed to be anointed. This was a primary, not an offensive weapon, but a defensive weapon. But it would allow you to go on the offensive without the shield you couldn't go on the offensive because if the shield didn't protect you and it didn't stop the bullet, there was no offense for you. There was no going forward. There was no fight anymore. So the shield became important. And so that shield needed to be soaked in oil. It needed to be anointed so that it would not dry out and it would not crack. Because if it did that, it became vulnerable to any weapon that was used against it, whether it was an arrow or whether it was uh, some kind of, uh, you know, spear or something that was thrown at it, it became vulnerable. And now it became a liability to the soldier that was behind that shield. But in this particular day, it wasn't just any oil that was used. Oftentimes it was olive oil that was used. And the Scripture tells us that Jesus went out into the Mount of Olives. And there we read about at the end of the book of Matthew, a story about prior to his execution, he takes with him the disciples, and they go to a place called Gethsemane. And he says to his disciples, I want you to sit here, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to pray yonder. And so he begins to pray, and we read about the Scripture, and it's, it's, it's such a, uh, uh, I can't help when I, when I read that portion of the Bible, uh, you can just, you can picture him in the garden, and it says that he's praying so, so fervently that uh, he is praying great drops of blood coming from, or great drops coming from his brow as if, as, as if it were uh, uh, these great drops of sweat and, and blood. I mean, I've never prayed that hard. I've never prayed with that kind of intensity before, but here's a man who understands in his humanity that he's a, about to uh, go into a situation where he's going to become the sacrifice, he, his whole purpose for living his whole purpose for coming is now about to be fulfilled it's going to be incredibly horrific incredibly painful on a personal level on a human level and and he's going to take the sins of the world upon him i can't imagine what it must have uh felt like to drink that cup of guile but yet he is willing to do it and there he is in the garden trying to bring his humanity into subjection and submission to the mission that's at hand and there he is on the mount of olives in a place called gethsemane and he is offering himself, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be so. But if not, then, then we're going to go with the plan of redemption. And so, if you want to think of it this way, there he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is an olive garden. And he is anointed, if you will, for his death in this olive garden. His death facilitated his burial, and his burial leads to his supernatural resurrection. 
and his resurrection that allows him to ascend or descend and pour out his uh, or ascend up into heaven. And his ascension is important because he said, I am with you, but I shall be in you and I must go away that I can come again. And so he goes away and he ascends so that he can then pour out his spirit. So what I'm trying to say to you this, this afternoon is that it all started in Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And there is something about the anointing of the Holy Ghost in our faith that is so uniquely connected. And there is something about the faith of, of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross that started with the anointing of that, of the Mount of Olives, if I could say it that way. Praise God. And it ultimately leads, all these steps lead to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And there is something about the Holy Ghost oil and anointing of our faith that keeps the fiery darts from penetrating our lives. Praise God. We have got to have a shield of faith, but we have that shield of faith because of the Holy Ghost. That's within us, stirred up in us, moving through us, praise God, like a river of living water, praise God. And so this brings me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's a familiar story. I mean, we, we all have heard of David and Goliath and preached many times before. But what caught my attention one time in reading through this is there is this description of Goliath, this giant. He's the champion of the arch enemies of Israel, the Philistines. Says that his height was six cubits in a span. It gives the dimensions. It talks about the helmet of brass on his head and the coat of mail that he was wearing. And it gives the weight of that. And, and it talks about the greaves of brass upon his legs and the target of brass between his shoulders. So everything that he was wearing, it gives a description of it. And uh, if you translate it out, I've heard anything. His height was anywhere from 6'9 all the way up to 13 feet. Don't know exactly what it was, but this was a big man. He was bigger than any natural, normal man of that day and age. Big enough that they would parade him out by himself on the battlefield and challenge anybody to come fight him. This was a large man. The coat of mail, probably about 194 pounds in, in weight. The spearhead of his spear can be translated to about 24 pounds. So this man is like supersized. Everything's supersized. What he's wearing is supersized. His weapon's supersized. He's one bad dude. And he is striking fear in the hearts of God's people to the point that they can't even step out into, we talked about it last night, the promises of God. And so they're cowering behind the rocks. It takes a little boy to come and, uh, and step out in faith. And that's not the point I want to make to you this morning necessarily. But what I want to say to you is this, that here is this description of Goliath gives us some physical description about him. It gives us a physical description about the equipment that he's wearing and the weapon that he is carrying. And then you get to this one little phrase in verse 7, and it says, And one bearing a shield went before him. And it's a little phrase that I, I don't think I'd ever caught before. I certainly had read it because I'd read the Bible, but I'd never caught it before. And suddenly it stood out to me, and I thought to myself, Here, here, here is a, a man... We don't know who he is. We don't know anything about him, but he's the shield bearer. That's his job. It's his job to carry the shield for Goliath. Why? Because Goliath needs to fight with both hands. He's got his, he's got his uh, armament. He's got his spear with the head on it, 24-pound head on this thing. And, uh, and so he's going to go in an offensive, uh, combative manner and needs everything he's got at his disposal. And so what he has is a shield bearer. Somebody carrying that shield for him out into battle. All the fancy equipment he had, all of the stature and height, all the intimidation of his presence, sure didn't mean a whole lot when faith stepped into the picture and a ruddy-faced little boy stepped out with a sling and a smooth stone and began to wind up and let it fly and buried it into his forehead. He sure didn't put up a very big fight. I want you to consider today for just a moment why that maybe is. There's a lot of angles we could talk about with respect to this story, but I want you to think about this. He might have had all the fancy equipment. He might have been one big dude, but he was vulnerable. Why? Because he wasn't carrying his own shield. 
His very protection, the thing that he needed the most above all else, above the helmet, above the breastplate, above the things that girded his loins, above the footwear that he wore to protect his feet, above all, and above the weapon that he carried in his hand, which could inflict and do the most damage of anything. Above all, it took a stone about that big to bring him down. Why? I think it's because he wasn't carrying his own shield. He didn't have his own shield in his hand. Somebody else was carrying it for him. And folks, if, if, it's, if, if history tells us correctly about the shields, that, that I, I, this isn't Bible, this is Ed Herman. You could do what you want with this, but think about this for a second. If it's true that these shields were built for the man, if it's true that they were built for the individual that was carrying them so that they could get behind them and it would protect their whole body, then Goliath was one huge dude. Can you imagine the size of the shield that this thing was? Can you imagine how immense this thing had to be? Now, Goliath, there was nobody like him. If I understand correctly, there wasn't a, a lot of guys that were like this. That's why they paraded him out there. He was the only one. He was an anomaly. He was a freak of nature. This was one big, massive guy. This giant walked out there. There, there wasn't any other shield this size. There wasn't another shield designed for another man like this. And so if there's not another man like him, then the guy carrying it wasn't as big as him. I can just picture this guy carrying this shield, and the shield is, is probably twice the size that it would normally be. And he's out there on the battlefield. I don't know if he's staggering or, you know, tripping over stuff, but he's got the shield. I believe that he wasn't big enough and able enough to handle this thing. And Goliath gets out there and starts running his mouth about how I'm going to feed you to the birds and the fowls of the air, and, and come on, you know, come on and meet me out here. And all of a sudden, that's stone gets wound up and let go, and where is the shield as a stone is flying through the air? And bam, it buries itself into this forehead. I don't know where the shield bearer was. But folks, I'll tell you what, he should have been fired. I don't know where he was. I, maybe maybe he saw he saw that kid winding up. He thought to himself, oh God. I don't know if he said, oh God, or oh, oh one of my gods, or whatever. And maybe he picked that thing up. Where is it coming from? Where's it? But here comes that stone. Oh man, we're not going to make it. Whack! Goliath, Goliath, Goliath! I'm dropping the shield. I'm out of here. He's done. That left a mark. He's not going to make it. Here's my message today. Here's what it is. You've got to pick up your own shield. You've got to pick up your own faith. You've got to walk this walk for yourself. Listen. I hear this man pray. I know he's a praying man. I know these are spiritual people. A man of the Word of God. But you can't, you can't come in on the coattails of your spiritual leadership. You can't come in on the coattails of your pastor. You can use him as an example. You can try to emulate him. You can be, try to be like him. But he can't fight your battles for you. You've got to pick up your own faith. There's times where you've got to pick up your own shield, praise God. Nobody else can carry it for you. It's designed for you. It's built for you, praise God. It's going to protect you. Above all, it's the shield of faith. Sometimes you've just got to step out, praise God. Young people can't live this thing just because their parents do. Somebody else is carrying your shield for you. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I can't carry the shield of everybody I pastor. I don't have enough hands. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough. I'm carrying my own shield, praise God. I can pray for them. I can be there for them. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes you can step out in faith, and you know what? They don't need us. They don't need us. 
See, I, I love what Brother Putnam always says. He says, we're fellow strugglers. He's, he talks about the fact, yes, I, I may be the superintendent, but don't look at me like I'm up here somehow. But just understand that we're all fellow strugglers. I, I love it when he says that, because you know what? That It reminds me that it ain't any different for me. I've got to carry my own shield, too. And you've got to carry your own shield, praise God. And we've got to go out into battle. And if we don't carry that shield of faith, if we don't have that thing in front of us, then we are vulnerable and open to the smallest little things that can destroy us. It doesn't matter what the size of the weapon that comes against you. It really doesn't. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But it's time today to fire your shield bearer. Fire the one who's been carrying it for you. And step out in your own walk with God. Your own faith. Come on, we talked about it last night. We're moving forward, forward progress into the promises of God. And the only way you do that is with faith, praise God. That's the only way that you do that. Don't look for someone else. I know we have to encourage one another, and we've got to lift each other up. And, and I'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow, praise God. But 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 here's the thing. When you walk in this walk, if there's nobody else around and it's just you, then it's just you and your faith against the enemy. It's got to be you, and you've got to be able to have the, the shield, praise God. Listen, Judges tells us this. That God left some enemies in the promised land for the express purpose of teaching them how to fight. He left them there on purpose. I think it was because they came out of Egypt and they have had a slave mentality. And what a slave mentality is, is that whenever the chips are down and whenever the oppression comes, you submit. You capitulate. You maybe don't like it. You don't want to be in that situation, but you succumb to it. And so they come into or stand on, like we talked about last night, they stand on the edge of going into the promised land. And they go to subdue that land. And as soon as there's pushback, as soon as there's resistance, there's caving in. It's a slave mentality. My oppressor is pushing down upon me, and so I give up. And I submit. And the Lord left the enemies in the promised land to continue. See, here's the thing, folks. This isn't about just coming in and getting saved. We, we have an obligation to fight. This, this, this life is not just some walk in the park and roses. I love to stand up here and testify to you that on June 24th of 1990, the night I received the Holy Ghost, ever since then, I have never had a problem, not one single problem. It's been amazing. But you wouldn't believe me, and it wouldn't be true. Because we do have things that we've got to fight. We do have things we have to... And if we're going to go forward, if we're going to move ahead, if we're going to grow in Jesus Christ, if we're not going to be a babe in Christ anymore, but we're going to grow up, uh, we're going to need to understand how faith operates in our life. And we're going to have to do it on our own. Praise God. This thing becomes very individual and very personal to each one of us. Praise God. Let me just try to come in for a landing here. I can't rely on the security blanket of someone else's faith. I appreciate when people pray for me. But if they're praying for me and I'm not doing anything for myself, I'm not sure I'm helping myself. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm increasing my faith. There's a story in the scripture that tells us of a, a man who comes to Jesus. He's got his son with him. He says, Jesus, this is my son. He's possessed. Oftentimes, he throws himself into the fire and into the water. He gnashes about and, and pineth away and, and all of these physical manifestations of the spiritual problem he has. This thing's trying to kill him. I took him to your disciples and I asked them to get rid of this demon. And they tried, but it didn't work. Can you help me? He said, if you believe anything's possible. And this man began to cry aloud and something must have just broken him, some kind of emotion. He said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. There, there needs to be 
more to this. I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's me. Am I the thing that's holding things back? But, but, but Lord, I need some help here. I want this to happen. I'm willing to do whatever. And so, Jesus performs this great miracle. He's bring the child to me. And of course, the demons cast out the child falls down, at least it appears in Scripture, to be that because they, they think that he's dead. And this great miracle happens, but this child rises up and he, he's full of life and he's free. And so after this great miracle takes place, the Scripture tells us that the disciples pull him away privately and inquire. And they want to know, and, and you know, this was not something they wanted anybody to hear. Their question was, why did this not work? I mean, we're kind of embarrassed. This is really embarrassing. How come this didn't happen for us? And so the Lord tells them, this is his first response. He says, oh, ye faithless generation. You faithless generation. Something about that, that lack of faith that didn't bring about the miracle. And he teaches them something very powerful and very important. He says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. They could not do the miracle just by having hung out with Jesus. Just by being with Him. That's not enough, folks. It, it's not enough to walk through the church doors faithfully every Sunday. It's not enough to just claim that you're an apostolic. It's not enough to say, well, I got the Holy Ghost 25 years ago. I was baptized in Jesus' name on a Sunday morning. That's wonderful, but that's not enough. That was your beginning. That's not your ending. That's not where it stops. That's where it starts. Praise God. And, and just by being in the presence of Almighty God and watching the miracles and partaking of all of that was not enough for them to pull it off. And what I believe Jesus was trying to teach him, he was trying to say, listen, you got to, you need a, you need a shield of faith. If you want to come up against that kind of enemy, then you're going to have to have something that's bigger than what you've got. It's going to have to be strictly personal. It's going to have to be individual. You want to do something in my name? I can't do it all for you. I can't carry your shield of faith for you. You've got to develop your own, praise God. And this was lesson 101 for these boys. Don't be a faithless generation, but allow God to use you. But there's a partner responsibility. For every one of us. Praise God. Would you stand with me today? Praise God. I think we just, we, we rely on too much sometimes. You know, folks, I, and I've been guilty of it myself. Man, if the musicians would just get up on the platform and start playing something that would just rip my heart out. I could get into the presence of God and I could I could defeat whatever I'm trying to and whatever I'm wrestling with. You know, if the preacher, if I could just walk in and sit on the pew this this Sunday morning, if the preacher would just say something that would just move on me and move and speak to my issue and speak to my problem. If if God would just use the man like that, uh, maybe perhaps Two o'clock in the morning, oh, I just, I'll ring up five people in the church and just tell them, would you pray for me because my belly hurts? But if you could just understand that this is a personal thing. I've got to fight. I've got to learn how to fight. Now, I think it's great we pray for each other. I think it's great that we edify one another and lift each other up. But folks, I can't be relying on every little facet and other people. It's got to be about me carrying that faith. I, fire your shield bearer. Tell him he's unemployed. Get out, I'm picking this thing up myself. I'm doing this on my own. This is, this is about me now. This is my responsibility. Praise God. I'm stepping out in faith. I'm believing God can do something through me. I'm believing he can use me. I'm believing he can heal me. Praise God. I heard a story one time. comes from the Civil War that was... Struck me. A man by the name of Colonel Avery was put in a position of, uh, as a commander at, um, I wanted to say Gethsemane, but it was, uh, Gettysburg. Thank you. I'm getting my Gethsemanes and my Gettysburg mixed up. Praise God. There is a difference. 
And so in the Battle of Gettysburg, Colonel Avery brings his troops into this battle. And in the heat of the battle, he's struck in the neck. And he is bleeding profusely. He is partially paralyzed. He is laying out in the field. He is unable at this point. He's rendered incapacitated. He cannot give orders. The battle is just going crazy. He's part of the Confederacy. His troops are in kind of all kind of disarray. There's nobody there to give them any leadership. And he falls from his horse. He's bleeding out. And apparently he was alone at the time. And so there he is, partially paralyzed. While all of this is going on, well, eventually the battle begins to wind down after numerous hours. And his aide and what turned out to be a former business partner of his from back, I think they were from North Carolina, actually, if I'm not mistaken, Samuel Tate, kneels down by his side as his commander and his friend is dying in the field. And Avery is unable to speak. He's been rendered paralyzed. He's in such extreme pain. He cannot verbalize anything. He's physically unable to speak. This wound is mortal. His right hand is useless from the paralysis. And so with his left hand, the hand that he's not used to writing with, he uses virtually his last little bit of strength to scribble in blood a note to Tate. And it says this, Major, tell my father I died with my face to the enemy. Above everything else, just let my dad know that I wasn't afraid to face the enemy. I went into this thing full bore with everything that I had in me. I committed myself to it. I want my father to know he could be proud of me. I wasn't afraid of the fight. I took it to the enemy. Yes, he may have felled me, but, but I, I wasn't afraid. Tate let my dad know that I died. Not running away. I didn't turn back. I didn't go scared. My tail wasn't between my legs, but I, I looked him right in the eye, and I took everything that he, that he gave me. I'd like to say today that perhaps you could scribble a note that would say, Heavenly Father, some days, some days I feel like I lose those battles. Some days I might fall for a moment. The difference here is I get back up again. But I just want to let you know that I might have died in that particular situation. I might have been wounded in that particular situation, but I did it with my face to the enemy. I wasn't afraid. I took my shield of faith and I stepped into every situation and every circumstance that I needed to. And I wasn't afraid. Father, I just want you to know I'm not afraid to fight. I'm a soldier and I'm going forward. Praise God. The altar's open this afternoon. Would you would you come today? And as you come, let me just read Psalm 5 and 11 and 12 for you real quick. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, O Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Praise God. God is my protector today. God is my shield and my buckler. He's with me in the battle. If I will pick up that shield of faith, if I will step out in faith, He is there, folks. I'm not fighting alone. I'm not by myself. Praise God. But today's the day you do it on your own. It's not your pastor praying through your situation for you. It's not your pastor's wife counseling you and carrying you through your situation. It's not your husband or your wife today. It's not your mom or your dad that's doing it for you. It's, it's me. I, I, I'm doing it for me. I'm picking up the shield of faith today. I'm, I'm stepping out above all. I've got, I'm wearing a helmet of salvation. Thank God for that. I've got that breastplate of righteousness on as I live a holy and a godly life. 
My feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And my loins are girt about with truth. I'm thankful for this apostolic truth. I'm thankful for all of that. I've got the sword of the Spirit. I've got the word of the Lord behind me. But, but today, my shield needs to be anointed with oil. That my faith would be effective. I would face my enemy. I would face my situation. I'd face my problem. With the hand of the Lord behind me, His arm is not short that He cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. My God is fully able to protect me. He will surround me. He will cover me from the fiery darts of the wicked today. My faith will cover me and protect me. Oh, would you just reach out to the Lord today? Would you just reach out to Him today? Praise God. I want to walk out of here today just feeling a a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit more protected. I want to walk out of here today believing that I, I, I can do this. I don't have to understand everything about faith. I just need to practice it. I just need to grow in it. I just want to walk out of here today willing to exercise it a little bit more where maybe it, I was afraid before. I didn't want to step off into nothingness for fear that my, my father might not catch me. But, but today I know that if I will, if I will pick up that shield of faith, my God will be a protector for me. He will not fail me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. He will always be there. He is an on-time God. He knows my every step, my every move. He knows what the enemy's intents are. He will always be there. I will rejoice and put my trust in you. I will ever shout for joy. Praise God because he defends me. I will love his name and be joyful because there is power in that name. Praise God. I know that he's going to bless the righteous. He's going to bless me as I walk in in, in his favor. Praise God. And no weapon formed against me can prosper. As I step out in faith today, praise God. What can you believe him for? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let your mind run wild today with possibilities. Let your mind run wild today about what God can do. Come on, can you believe Him for anything? Can you step out in faith today? Is your shield that big? Come on, don't let a dart of doubt penetrate your heart. It's a 